Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast today. My name is Terry Fletcher. So today I wanted to bring to you a topic that is making its rounds with the Office of Inspector General. And I think it's important because I know a lot of primary care offices provide advanced care planning services. And I think it's time to revisit that and understand what um, Medicare allows, what some of the private payers allow, and also realize that in February of 2023, so just recently, um, Medicare put out a new MLN fact sheet on advanced care planning and said, hey, we're seeing a lot of Um, non-compliance with this and you need to understand what is involved in being able to report the codes 99497 and 99498. So what those billing code descriptors are says advance and advance not with a D not advanced advance so advanced care planning including the explanation and discussion of advanced directives such as standard forms which with completion of those forms, or it says of such forms when performed by the physician or other qualified healthcare professional, first 30 minutes face-to-face with the patient, family member, and our surrogate. So when you're looking at the CPT code 99497, that's for the first 30 minutes. And then the 99498, that's an add-on code for an additional 30 minutes. And you have to add that on separately. So first of all, it's a time-based code. And what the OIG has been screaming about for the last couple of months is that there are providers that are following this or providing the service and billing for it or billing for it and not documenting appropriately with time. So you have to prove that you spent 30 minutes with the patient and that doesn't mean you spent part of the time. Um, You can't bill anything less than 15 minutes for um, the advanced care planning and Medicare says you have to meet the 30 minutes. So remember on time-based codes, CPT says one thing and Medicare says, wait a minute, you need to make sure that you're using our time when it when it comes to these services. It says you shouldn't discuss any other active management of the patient's issues for the time that's reported when you bill the ACP codes. So what's been happening is that an ENM is being billed based on time. You're including this discussion within the ENM code. Let's say you're putting out there 40 minutes trying to get a level four um you know, a, a new patient or a level four or level five established patient, but 30 minutes of that wasn't spent on the advanced care planning. So you can't get that in addition. And so this is where it says bill a different um, ENM service to meet your other service requirements. And that actually should be based probably on medical decision making. It's really tough when you mix time based codes. And when you make mix them with ENM services and you're trying to time both because now you are in effect saying that you're spending probably greater than an hour with that patient, depending on what level you're billing. That's why they don't allow it when you're dealing with preventative and office visits on the same day. They say now your office visit has to be medical decision making. Or if you're in behavioral mental health, they don't allow that when you're billing for psychotherapy and ENM on the same day. Your ENM has to be medical decision making. So they're not specific that it has to be that way with advanced care planning, but best practices, you might want to do that because this is on the radar now for the Office of Inspector General. So let's talk about what these codes include. And I think the code descriptor is a little bit 
Well, let's just say it has a phrase in there where it says, with completion of such forms, and we're talking about the advanced directives, when performed. Okay, so completing the, the forms is included if you're completing it, but you still have to discuss the forms with the patient. And that's what OIG was saying that isn't happening. They're saying, well, they're not only not completing the forms because obviously the code says if you did it, but they're not even discussing those forms with the patient. So what was updated in February of 2023, so just recently, is they added medical orders for life-sustaining treatment and psychiatric, psychiatric advanced directives. Um, they added a clarification on documentation and time-based coding requirements, and they added payment information for the FQHCs and rural health clinics, and also additional resources. And so let's know what advanced care actually is. So first of all, in the descriptor uh, from Medicare, it says it's voluntary. They're talking about the patient. If the patient is, you know, knows that you're going to be billing this, they have to know because if it's not with their welcome to Medicare visit, they're going to have an out-of-pocket expense. So they're going to have their you know, 20% or their deductible added. And it's also face-to-face -face service between a physician and other qualified healthcare professional and the patient. So it's not an RN and a medical assistant or anybody who can't bill directly to the payer. So as part of the discussion, they want you to talk about those advanced directives. So with or without helping the patient complete the legal forms, but you have to have that discussion. And you can usually find those forms on the state attorney general's office website. So make sure you look for that. Um, one of the things that was, or some of the things that was on the old rules was living wills. That's still there. Healthcare proxy. Remember the power of attorney on a patient is different than the durable power of attorney for healthcare. I found that out with my dad. He gave me power of attorney over his checking accounts and his bank accounts, which was helpful since Medicare took money back based on what day he passed away in the month. And so he passed away the 22nd of a month in the month and they took back his Medicare check for that month. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We already paid his bills on that. So that was a problem. But the durable power of attorney for healthcare is similar to the power of attorney, but it's specific to healthcare and then psychiatric advanced directives as well. But what they added, what Medicare added requirements is that medical orders for life-sustaining treatment. That's a really big deal nowadays. You know, do they want you to basically, you know, do, um, you know, code blue? Do they want you to, um, you know, what are the wishes of the patient? Do they want you to make any kind of overt, um, you know, life-sustaining, um, uh, well, God, what's the word for it? I, and I hate to say, you know, turn off the switch because that's just so wrong to say that. But you know what I mean when I'm saying that. Are they gonna Are they gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna be 85 or I'm gonna be 90 or however you know old the patient is, or I'm in a certain stage in my cancer and I just want to pass away peacefully. So are, do they want you to keep the patient on life support, things like that? You know, and you know, I'm in my 50s and we talk about that all the time. Well, not all the time, but my husband and I have had the conversation as far as how long to keep somebody on support um, because we were luckily lucky and so was his dad. When he did pass, it was very quiet in his sleep. He had Hodgkin's lymphoma and he was 91 and it was, you know, they just let us know. We, it was during COVID so we couldn't actually see him. We were actually at the facility though, um, just, you know, kind of seeing him outside his window. It was very sad because we couldn't go in, but, um, but we, we knew we were there. 
So you want to know that. But then I've had a friend of mine who her mom actually put in her um, in her advanced directives and in her uh, ACP planning sheet, because they actually did a whole legal document on it, that she said she wanted all life-saving measures taken. She wants to make sure that she is not, there's, there's, you know, she thinks that there's going to be some magic drug or magic pill at some point where, you know, cancer is going to be cured. So it's, it's really up to the patient. But one of the additions or some of the additions that were also added is it says you must document your ACP discussion with the family patient and caregiver or surrogate. And in your documentation, you must include, first of all, the voluntary nature of the visit. So the patient has to be given the choice if they want to have the conversation. I have one, um, actually not my client, but somebody told me that they have a a physician that says that they won't accept patients that won't do ACP as, as they come into the practice. And I, that's, you can't do that legally. That's, that could be challenged. So, oh my gosh, talk about a problem. It also says the explanation of advanced directives. So technically you don't have to fill out the forms with them, but if you're going to go over it anyway, it might be helpful to at least start the process. You also have to document who is present, the time spent discussing the ACP during the face-to-face encounter and then any change in health status or healthcare wishes if the patient becomes unable to make their own decisions. Now, can this be provided via telehealth? Everybody always asks me that question. So in the CPT book, you do have symbols in front of codes that show you when it is appropriate to bill them or something's excluded. Well, the star symbol says that a code can be performed via telehealth, audio and video. Well, make sure you also check with the payer because you know just because CPT says it doesn't make it correct. So you have to make sure that you understand that it is payer driven if they'll allow it via telehealth because it has to be face to face. And the the MedLearn Matters uh, 909289 from Medicare did not say that telehealth was an option. So it could be, but you have to make sure that that, um, your payer allows it. Also, they added something for diagnosis. They said report the condition you discussed with the patient. Make sure it's an ICD-10 code. This code shows an administrative exam or an exam diagnosis when the ACP services are part of the um, annual well visit or the first um, um, welcome to Medicare visit. They call it the IPPE. So you don't need to report a specific diagnosis for the ACP, but there should be something that follows there. And then here's where they talk about the time-based service that I mentioned. So it says you must follow CPT rules about time requirements to report and bill the ACP. Uh, You shouldn't discuss any other active management um, issues with the patient that you're dealing with. When you perform other services concurrently as time-based services, don't include that time you spent uh, with the ACP services. Don't bill any ACP discussions of 15 minutes or less. Bill it just included in your evaluation and management services. And then, um, and then also it says a unit of time is billable when a midpoint of the allowable time passes. So that's why they're saying 15 minutes. So it looks like they are allowing for, um, CPT rules to exist. So it says less than 15 minutes. You can't bill it 16 to 45 is the nine, nine, four, nine, seven, one unit. And then it gives you kind of a table can, uh, when you complete that, how to get to that nine, nine, four, um, nine, eight, you'd have to hit at least 75 minutes there. And then it says you can offer ACP services in facility and non-facility settings. So in the hospital or, um, in the office, and then, 
Uh, you can bill them in any care setting, including um, nursing home, the patient's home. Um, and it says, it. oh, here it is. Here's the telehealth guideline. It says, uh, effective at the time of service, if telehealth is available, then you may use this as a telehealth service. Make sure the audio and video uh, connection is documented within that record. So they want face-to-face. -face. You can't just do it over the phone. And then it says, we pay for ACP as an optional element in addition to the annual well visit and IPPE. Um, it is a separate Part B medically necessary service, but also um, there you need to, be, need to be careful with the how many you can bill within a certain amount of time. So when you provide this, first of all, um, with the annual well visit, as I mentioned, um, offered by the same provider as the covered annual well visit, and you bill it, they say, with the 33 modifier for preventative services. So it's billed with the GO438 or the GO439 for the subsequent annual well visit. They do waive the coinsurance and the Part B deductible. So to me, that almost means like they're saying, you know what, um, once per year limit is probably not a bad idea. Now, here's where um, they really look at this from a uh, frequency guideline. So it says, if we deny the annual well visit, for exceeding once a year per limit. They may still pay the a ACP as a separate Part B medically necessary service, but they'll apply the deductible and coinsurance. So why would a patient need to have more than this discussed more than once a year? Well, if something changes at some point, so if there is a directive where the patients change their mind, then that's when you could possibly bill it again if you hit the time threshold. So they give us an example, a 68 year old person makes, takes uh, multiple medications for heart failure and diabetes. They see their physician for the ENM on these two chronic conditions and the physician is adjusting their medication and managing these two conditions. It says while discussing short-term treatment options, the patient also wants to address long-term treatment concerns. Um, they talk about a possible heart transplant if the failure worsens. They also discuss advanced care planning including the patient's desire for care and treatment if they have a health event that adversely affects their decision-making abilities. And the physician helps the patient complete a legal advance directive form from their state attorney general's office. And 30 minutes is documented in the record of advanced care planning discussion above and beyond the ENM service. So the physician can report the ACP in addition to the ENM code describing the management of the two chronic conditions as long as the ACP time does not overlap with the time that was spent with the ENM service and managing those conditions. So you would have to document this pretty extensively to make sure that you're not overlapping. Remember, these codes are worth about 80 bucks for the first 30 minutes. So when you consider that kind of reimbursement, I can see why these were on the radar with the, the OIG. So just remember when you're looking it up, it's MLN 909289 Advanced Care Planning, and it's from February 2023. I just thought it was important to bring that up today because when I see these things, you know, blipping on the radar, that's really important. And that's what we look at for the CodeCast. So as a side note, something came out with the CPT errata that I'm not happy about. You probably saw my comments already on LinkedIn, and it's about the independent interpretation of the data point. They said that in the errata that if you order a test, obviously you didn't bill for the test, but if you order a test, 
that you can also get credit for the independent interpretation if that's what you did. Well, to me, that goes against everything they're talking about in the CPT book, because in the, C the CPT says that if you order a test, you can't get credit for giving the result. But now they're saying, but you can get credit for giving an interpretation. And the, the physician is not always seeing the film. So maybe that's the key. If you actually have the film itself that you're interpreting to the patient and you are, you are documenting it as an interpretation, not necessarily a formal interpretation, but basically giving your insight as far as what you see on the film, maybe that's appropriate in, in capturing that moderate or high level data point. But my problem with that is it seems like it just taught physicians how to get around getting both the um, the order and the review, but those are under category one and you're not supposed to get the review if you order it because we're giving patients result when we order tests. So believe me, I'm not happy about this. I'm having a little bit of stress because I just know I'm going to get some grief from some of my clients saying, but look, look at what we can do now. And so, oh my gosh, you know, just, uh, so, so there's some days uh, coding, billing, reimbursement, compliance, it's all tied together, but I just don't know what the American Medical Association is thinking some days. I, I just don't understand it. Anyway, so let me move on from that and uh, let you know what's coming up. So for those of you that have not um, taken a Medicare um, update and webinar. I do have two coming up. So I have one on the 21st with McVeigh seminars. Please look that up on their website. And then I have one on the 28th with the nschbc.org. And you can find that as well. And it's $99 and it will give you all the updates for, I'm going to go over the, uh, the errata with Medicare, or I'm sorry, the errata with AMA plus all the Medicare updates once the public health emergency ends. And there's more than just telehealth. So just know it's going to be telehealth, but a lot more that is going to end. Supervision is coming up, things about the COVID discussion and using, using the nurse visit, that's going to end. There's so many things that are going to end after May 11th. So I really hope uh, you look at attending one of my Medicare uh, webinars. So many of you have asked about my Coding Corner membership. And I have two types of membership. One is executive membership and the other one is a regular membership. And it's for unlimited coding questions through email. Uh, you can have up to five people in your uh, specialty. You can have up to two specialties per contract. And so it's, uh, again, 1200 a year for the regular, 1800 a year for executive. The executive also allows you to have some free webinars. I have a quarterly Ask Me Anything Zoom call that we get on and uh, everyone can have a conversation. And then also we just started a new newsletter. Um, so take a look at it, terryfletcher.net, and hope I get some of you that want to join the, the uh, membership. So we have a, a good time with that. It just gives you kind of a resource on, on where to get some information. When you're kind of tired of looking at it, or you need somebody to help you write an appeal letter or you're trying to figure out how to code something, it's just a reference that you can come to and we get back to you within uh, 24 hours. So hopefully you'll find that helpful. All right, next week I'm going to be talking about reporting add-on codes when we're having trouble with base codes that we're not doing. And you might find this kind of an interesting conversation. 
And a little personal tidbit uh, about me this week is I'm finally planning my next Napa trip, which is the first weekend in June. So I'm pretty excited about that. I have not been since December of 2021. And so we didn't go at all last year. You know how much I love Napa. I try to get there at least twice a year. So I'm happy about that. And this time my daughter and her husband are coming and then also their best man and one of her bridesmaids from her wedding who are married. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to that trip. So um, I will be definitely giving you some updates on that. So I'm pretty excited about that. So everyone, make it a great day and a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>